Coming to you live from the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas and Money 2020, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Hello, hello, hello. Lou Carloso, your host here at The Money Pot, live from Money 2020 in Las Vegas, Nevada. I wanna thank some amazing people Scott Mills of the William Mills Agency, who has done a lot to get some great guests on the Bankadelic podcast. This is a co-branded presentation today. And also the one and only Rachel Morrissey, who runs the Money Pot operation. Rachel, if you're listening, we love you. (laughs) Speaking of the love, the serious love here, we are going to share with you today some really incisive news and developments, really important stuff in terms of digital trust in modern fintech. And to do that, we have Michael Wilbrand, based in Cleveland. Micah is CPO and VP Enterprise of NEC. That's a company that has a leading edge in advanced technologies, services, and knowledge. It's been around for more than 120 years and is an ICT leader that seeks to create social values of safety, security, fairness, and efficiency. Now, as for Micah, he has an impressive history that includes London-based positions as managing director at Experian and global head anti-bribery and corruption solution solutions. <laughs> nice actimize. Over 20 years, his areas of expertise include, but are not limited to, I should say, M&A, strategic planning, biz dev, budgeting, and organizational development. Micah, welcome to the Money Pot. Great. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. So we had a really cool chat before we went on the air. And I never expected to hear the words sports stadiums and airports connected to the work that you do, but it's really cool work. I wonder if you would take us under the hood a bit and describe what NEC does, what you do there, and you mentioned a little something about the offline world moving faster, which helps you guys run ahead of the pack. Yeah, no, it's uh, great to be here and, you know, just, just super excited to, to talk about all the, the wonderful advancements that we're making. 
Um, but you know, as you mentioned, you know, NEC you know has been been around for 123 years now, and in the last. 20, 30 years, we've really been focusing on biometric technologies as well as digital identity applications. And one of the great um, things that we've done is um, to help speed through um, the, the customer, um, a traveler or someone else in some of these offline applications, um, you know, we started to work with aviation industry um, over a decade ago. So if you have flown in and out of the United States anytime over the last 10 years and you've had your face scanned at Border Patrol, you've used our stuff. Wow. Um, so when, when you're coming through that system, that's, that's really where we kind of got our start. Um, from there, we, we've kind of blossomed out. So now we have implementations with airlines where you can go curb the gate without even showing a ticket. Your face is your ticket. You just walk in. Um, you don't need to scan anything, and you go right onto the airplane. That is fabulous. you um, got to teach me how that works. Yeah, well, we could do that. O'Hare. <laughs> yes. Long line. Yes. Um, but, you know, and, and again, that's, that's extended even further now. So over the past two to three years, we've been working with theme parks and sports stadiums. So now, you know, when you're going to a sporting event, Again, we you can just walk right in. We call it a no break and stride element, um, and your your ticket is actually your face. And so, as you're walking in, you you have cameras that that match your image to to the facial biometric. Uh, it's tied to that ticket, and, and you walk right into the stadium, and you're able to go in with without even having to stop for anything. Um, and then beyond that, then you can use your face to do purchases inside the stadium, you know, for for alcohol or, or other types of goods that you want to get in the stadium. So, you know, the offline world is really starting to explore all these great new applications that, that we can do with identity, um, coupling biometrics, as well as a, a decentralized identity that's stored on your on your mobile phone. That is absolutely fabulous. And I'm going to say right now, as much as I've learned about the industry and what's going on, this is the first time I'm hearing about any of this really exciting. Yep. Now, on the not so exciting side, that's at least if you're a bank or a financial institution. Mm-hmm is this element of account takeover and beyond that synthetic fraud and synthetic identity. We were chatting a little bit about that earlier. You've got some pretty interesting takeaways on that. I would love if you share those. Yeah, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I've worked in identity for over 20 years. Um, And, you know, the interesting thing and and why we're working in the fintech community is when when you think about fintech and, you know, just as a layperson, it's supposed to be, um, you know, moving much faster forward than a bank, right? Like, how do I get payments faster? How can I engage with crypto? How can I move money cross-border in a much faster way than what a bank can do with me? Um, But what's sort of happened is when, when you're talking about customer identification programs, know your customer type programs, um, a lot of these fintech companies are being wed to legacy platform and orchestration engines that banks use. So if I'm going on to ABC Fintech, I'm using probably the same onboarding system that you know the, the largest bank in the world uses. Yeah, it strikes me that that is a little bit akin to the idea of putting a Ferrari engine in a horse and buggy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, and, and what's happened over time is, is that these systems, they're, they're very data heavy, right? So it started off using personal data, your your government data from voter files and driver's licenses, then credit data, and then and other types of data. And basically, you know, that's created, um, you know, you would call it a honeypot, though I would might call it a money pot now, because criminals <laughs> really do try and target that and, and get it. Because when they steal that data, they own you, right? And that's when you talked about when you mentioned synthetic identities and account takeover. That's really what's happened. If you're an American, your data is lost. You know, it's on the dark web. It's being sold. Um, and you don't really have any privacy anymore. Yeah, it's incredible. At a past convention, 
I learned this from someone at TransUnion that you can set up a synthetic identity for about a hundred bucks. You cook it and you nurture it, maybe apply for some credit cards here and there, and then you soak them. And what is incredible, I don't understand this, is that a lot of time the banks let it go. They feel like, well, there's not much we can do. They write it off. Mm -hmm. And it's like, who in the world would think that you would condone something like this because what kind of a message does it send out? And the technology has to have mm. stop gaps. That's why I'm pretty geeked about what you guys are doing. Yep. You know, it strikes me that there are some ways to defend against this. Yeah. Yeah. And what you describe is called bust out fraud. Um, and, and so you create that, you know, and, and you look like a legitimate customer for maybe three or four months and then you bust out. You know, and that's yeah. I love that phrase because I do being Italian, do a mafioso imitation. So, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, try the bust-out fraud here. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love, I think maybe the, some of the rings on The Sopranos kind of brought that out. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're right, because the banks and a lot of financial institutions, and, and one of the things they do is they, they write it off, but they don't write it off as fraud. So they write it off as just a cost of doing business. And so they don't wow. have to report it. Um, and, and so to your point, it just emboldens, right? They, the criminals know they continually test what your limits are. Is it $9,500? Is it $9,342? They keep figuring it out, and it just keeps going. Um, and, and with that, all you're continuing to do is just continue to make the problem worse. Mm-hmm. They're gathering more data. They're bringing it together. They're able to steal more data, your personal data. Mm-hmm. And it, it just it, it makes it worse for the entire community that's out there. That is incredible. Now, you mentioned earlier a revolutionary use of biometrics, mm-hmm. walking in and using your face to maybe pay for concessions at a sports game or to go through an airport line. It seems that you guys have really, <clears throat> pardon me, you've hit on a unique use and expansion of biometrics that really sets you apart. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're trying to do is, you know, we have this extensive experience offline, right, and, and building that up. But you know, and we kind of think, you know, the face is the ultimate second factor, right? You know, everyone's tired of one-time passwords, right? The stupid six digits that you get to, to log in, to reset your password and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's much easier where you can just use your face on your phone and just, you know, you scan and you're done. So what we've done is building on the back of that biometric and, and just all the, you know, the IP that we have in that, we've extended it then to this, what we call decentralized digital identity. So at that point, you know, you're able to store, you know, all that data today when you're onboarding with a bank or a fintech, you're sending your, a picture of your driver's license through or your passport through, you're sending through your date of birth and all this personal identifiable information. It's being sent out and it's being verified against all of these, you know, 200 types of suppliers that are out there doing that. Wow. Um, what we do is we, we authenticate that and we bring it on, but then we store it on the phone, right? It's not stored in a centralized server anywhere. So criminals now are de-incentivized to try and hack and get this data because there's nowhere to go. So in terms of what we're talking about synthetic identity, it's really a way to start to eliminate that problem and bring it down. Um, And for the consumers, it's so much easier, right? Like you can just use your face. We we were talking about it before. Like the ultimate, you know, area that we see in the future is I can walk into a Starbucks and I can just pay with my face. Wow. I don't need a phone. I don't need my cards. I don't need anything else. Your face is your wallet. And, you know, you do that. You authorize the payment and and you go through in just a very seamless experience. The only catch there, and this applies just to me, right, is I walk into the Starbucks and the barista says, excuse me, Lou, your face is overdrawn. (laughs) (laughs) 
or I might break the biometric system. It's a good thing this is audio and not video. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I love, what I'm impressed by is you guys are not thinking in terms of abstractions. This is concrete stuff. This is real-world stuff. And when I think about that, there are a number of applications across many different sectors. The access verification, electronic payments, loyalty programs, Correct. and a lot more. So I'm wondering if you could walk us through what the approach is there and how you feel that NEC is moving forward with that. What other companies could be learning from you? Yeah. No, I think the, the, the one thing that I think really, and then you spoke on a little bit before, just the uniqueness that we have. Like, there, there are other biometrics providers that, that allow you to work on, your, work on your phone, right? Like Apple Pay, right? You know, Apple has your face, and, you know, you, you do that to confirm a transaction. Um, and there are other biometric vendors that do access, real-world access, fingerprints and iris scans and, and things like that. What we've done is we've been able to meld both the online and offline world together. So I can use that identity wherever I'm at. And Vegas is the best. Vegas is like the best use case, right? You have a loyalty program with, you know, some of like DraftKings or, or one of these other guys that are now owned by Caesars and the Venetian and MGM, and you can start to use that offline identity. You can use it in your real world application and bring those customer databases together. So when you talk about loyalty programs, you're not having separate loyalty programs, right? If my Home Depot online account now can be worked with my Home Depot real world account and, and, and the, the bringing it together again with that ultimate factor your face really drives it together and, and ensures that you have a uniqueness uh, within that account and you're not duplicating accounts across the uh, enterprise so in a very general sense obviously not applying to the work you do or NEC does what is stopping us from getting this to be more widespread I mean it's a no-brainer I, I would agree. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing, and, and especially especially in the, in, in the, in the, the fintech world, right? You, you talked about the Ferrari and then the horse. Um, you know, they, they are using that old engine. And there's such an institution built around these platforms and these orchestration engines that, you know, people going forward and saying, Mr. CEO, I need some investment. I want to do something completely different, right? Uh, it takes a lot, especially in the time venture capital has been drying up. And, you know, it, there's a little bit of a you know, people going out on a limb, even though we know it's a better consumer experience, even though we know it's going to help, you know, eliminate a lot of fraud typologies that are out there. And it's going to build brand awareness, right? Like if I'm a fintech company and I want to create a digital identity that I can use in the real world, like all of a sudden people are remembering me over everyone else, right? So when you make a payment, they're going to want to use it. So a lot of it is, you know, it, it is a new sea change in how you approach it, right? And that's mm -hmm. usually the biggest hump you got to get over. But this is why we're seeing the offline world really move ahead. Right? There's not this embedded system. So they're really driving forward. And it, we're, I know we were talking about it earlier, but you know, they're ahead now. You know, the offline world is moving ahead in a much quicker fashion than the online world is. Maybe you can break that down for listeners. And sometimes I'm a little confused. Offline to me, and I'm referring to a past understanding, yeah. is, oh, well, you're not on the Internet, so you're using a pen and a legal pad. <laughs> but it's a very different thing. What? is the distinction between offline and online, which I think yep. will help listeners understand why offline is really taking yep. off, pun intended. That, that's a really good point. Uh, so when I talk about offline, I, I just talk about, like we talked about walking into a stadium or walking into a physical structure, right? You know, it, it's not tied to the internet, right? You can walk into a sporting stadium with just a paper ticket. 
And what we've enabled is we're replacing that, you know, with, with your face and, and that application that come through. So now we can start to leverage that in, in a non-virtual world, right? And, and really bring forward these um, decentralized identity and biometric applications into that world. And the, the really interesting thing is the uptake, it's not the 25-year-old techie from Silicon Valley. It's senior citizens. It's families because it's so much simpler and easier. They don't have to fumble around for their phones. They don't have to fumble around for everything else. It just works, right? And so, you know, we're seeing a massive uptake in these communities you wouldn't normally associate uh, with it. And I'm going to repeat a phrase during the introduction, creating social values of safety, security, Mm. fairness, and efficiency. And I think a lot of times, and I'm grateful you brought that up, what is overlooked in these conversations especially when I talk to fintech leaders, is that human element. When you talk about seniors, for example, it's just extraordinary that something that we would associate as being way beyond their league and way beyond their understanding can be integrated into their life painlessly, seamlessly, and make a huge difference right from the get-go. Yeah, just like that. And, you know, NEC globally, you know, they're really about sustained capitalism, right? It's not about an all, you know, all, all, you know, hands bare kind of attack. You know, it's really how can we leave the world in a better place? Yeah. Than, than, you know, we we started at. So, you know, how can we help disadvantaged communities? How can we help communities that normally aren't targeted, right? Like, you know, a lot of tech that comes out of Silicon Valley is really targeted at 20 to 40 year old, 20 to 40 year olds that work in tech that make, you know, over hundred grand a year or whatever it is. But, you know, we're, you know, how can we include all of the different communities that are out there to make their lives better and easier too, right? Because that's 8 billion people in the world, right? You want to focus on the 8 billion, not the hundred million that live in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. And then there is the side that sometimes people don't like to talk about, yawn alert, right? But... <laughs> I'm going to say it, the C word, compliance and regulations, right? I think that fintechs in general, it's a great thing you guys are a longstanding company, but some of the upstarts, they get into this stuff and they're a little bit rebellious, move fast and break things when they realize that they could be broken themselves when they don't have that appreciation of what compliance and regulation means. This is the finance world. Those measures have to be in place. We just saw what happened with Silicon Valley Bank Mm -hmm. and FTX even. So walk us through how your solutions are adhering to that faithfully and why that's such a big hunking deal. Yeah. I I think, you know, like I said, I've been working in anti-money laundering and KYC for 20 years, right? So I I have a really long background both in onboarding CIP programs and whatnot, but also transaction monitoring, right? And and what do you do? The the biggest problem banking has today is there's so much emphasis put on is Micah, Micah, right? So I get them onboarded, I create an account, I do something like that. But once Micah's in in the walls, I don't know. Is it still Micah? Yeah. The, 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 the idea of continuous KYC, people talk about it, right? And continuous KYC is that continual confirmation that, that Micah is Micah. Um, but it's difficult because they want to use these onboarding systems, right? And they don't want to, you know, if you're trying to suddenly send $1,500 overseas because your kid is, you know, on a spring break or something, you know, then it's going to get flagged, right? And then they're going to say, send in your ID or, do, or, you know, a one-time password and all that stuff. And it's really difficult. Where we, you know, we can do all that onboarding stuff, right, that you need for KYC, that, that's sort of static and, and established. What we really focus on is that continuous KYC. Every single time, like if I want to confirm a transaction, just like you do on Apple Pay, mm-hmm. I confirm my face. It's the exact same person. You prevent the account takeover. 
yeah. which is really happening today because you know, that's the biggest problem they have is this account takeover that's then generated by utilizing synthetic identities, right? They create a synthetic identity. They do the account takeover. They steal all of your information. They steal all of your money. And because they're not doing this continuous authentication in a really simple and easy way that, that consumers understand. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that the only way possible to defeat this would be to drag Micah over <laughs> to my smartphone, make it use your facial biometrics, and then it's like, oh, I, I just got it programmed in I, there. Yeah. I, well, it's funny when, I, when you talk to your, when I talk to my parents, because right, you know, my, my parents are in their 70s, so it's the, yeah. the ultimate kind of use case, right, to make sure they can use it. And they always have, because in the movies, too, they're like, you know, cutting off people's thumbs to like, you know, get in, <laughs> to, to use those systems. And they're like, what do they do there? And I mean, yes, I mean, there, there are ways around it, but the, the barrier to, to get around it is so much higher. Oh, right? it's a super high barrier. I think, I wish I could recall the university or private company where it took place, but they figured out a way to defeat facial biometrics, but it was like a Hollywood makeup endeavor where it took hours and hours and hours to create some sort of mask that could do it. And I think maybe what happens in a lot of instances is if we can't do it 100%, why do it at all? And maybe it can be defeated, but as you put it, the barrier is so freaking high. Yeah, it's so, and you know, and even when you look, and and even now that, like, yeah, that's a problem. You know, you can do Hollywood, and, and some of those costs have come down, but now they have what you call liveness detection. So, you know, you can build the you can build the mask, right? You can build a mask that looks like mine, and, and if I'm looking straight forward, there's a chance I can get around it. But what they do with the liveness is, you know, you're checking around. You know, when you take a photo and it takes like three seconds on either side, the, mm-hmm. the Apple Live, whatever it's called, um, it, it's a similar kind of thing. So. When you turn your head just a little bit, then it all breaks down, right? And, and, and like our facial templates, so we don't actually hold a photo. We hold a template, right? So it's just an algorithm. Um, and and that, that's exposed. Like the second you do that, all of it goes away and, and you know, you're able to trip up that. So again, those barriers. And what we've seen with gener- generative AI, especially with voice biometrics, like after this podcast, someone can clone my voice and probably call my parents and tell them it's me. Oh, wow. Right? And when you use voice biometrics for access on the telephone, you know, they've already shown it's already broken. Yeah. Because you can do that super easy. Um, and so, like you said, the, this use of a, a facial, it, it's, it's just such a different level um, and just brings uh, just a different level of security. Uh, and, you know, there's always going to be super smart people out there that are going to do it. But, again, we're talking about, you know, creating just a much higher barrier than what's out there today. Imagine if those super smart people were applying those chops for the greater good, right? (laughs) It would be fantastic. I mean, in the journalism world that I come from, there's a real famous case about the infamous Stephen Glass, who did a lot of reporting for the New Republic and faked story after story after story. And to do this, he was a copy editor. He created fake notes, reams and reams and reams of fake notes that were cross-referenced and everything else. And it's like you're so smart, you're dumb. Yeah. Just go out and report the stories. This is four times the effort yeah. that would be required. And that's why I always wonder about the people that wear the black hats in this industry. Mm-hmm. How hard would it be to take the black hat off, put the white hat on, and make everybody's lives better? Yep. It's good you're wearing multiple <laughs> white hats. Now, not to put you on the spot, but it seems to me you would have a perspective on this. We're here and now. 
And there's so much going on at this convention. You just talked about generative AI. I'm sure every other booth, they're buzzing about it. But when we look to the future, the way technology is changing, the way new developments come out, digital IDs are going to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And we are going to see ways that it reshapes how we transact, mm -hmm. how we interact, and secure digital assets. What do you see happening, especially what you might be very enthusiastic about. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what we're going to see over the next seven to eight years um, is that your physical wallet will be on your phone. And actually, you know, to, to put it a little bit further out there, I'm not sure we're going to have phones the way that, that we're using today in the next 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, you know, with the advancement, advancements of cloud and the advancements of this uh, ubiquitous kind of, and this sounds very, oh, shoot, what's that Netflix show um, that does all the, the forward-thinking thing? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we talked about our vision is, you know, what we call face pay. You walk into that store and you just pay. You don't need anything with you. You can open your car with your face you can, or with a biometric. You can open your house. You know, you can use you, right? Like, you're your ultimate identifier, and then having that linked into a cloud-based account that, that people can link into, that, that you own. And, and again, it's going to be, and we talked about sort of that consent and trust and respect, the, that, that token that's holding that data, like it, it's stored with you. It's not stored in that centralized server that everyone can get to. So the way the underlying systems and the way that Google and Apple and Microsoft are working is we're setting up these encryption, the, these highly secure layers underneath that enable the transmission of this data. And so we're going to get to a point where, you know, you're you having a physical card isn't going to be needed. Um, we're seeing digital driver's licenses now. California has one. Louisiana has one. Mm. So your driver's license is going to be there. Your passport is going to be next. Um, you know, and you're going to start to see all these credentials. And so what we see in the technology that we bring is we can enable that exact same application for a consumer brand. So if I'm a fintech company you know, you can have that ability to hold that digital credential as your ABC FinTech company um, brand, right? And again, as a brand awareness application, it really helps to say, I'm, I'm proving myself in the real world, you know, to say, like, I, I have this already done, I'm, I'm credentialed, and then I'm going to use that as my payment mechanism. And we see, to, you know, in Europe, they're much further advanced on this than we are here in the States, um, but we're starting to see that, that move forward. Yeah, I think we'll get there. The technology certainly is there, and now it just has to coalesce. Yeah. You mentioned consent, trust, and respect. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you consented <laughs> to be with me in the Money Pop booth. Yeah. I trust everything you say because it makes perfect sense, and uh, I respect that knowledge base. Micah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Micah Wilbrand is the CPO and Vice President Enterprise of NEC. He is based in Cleveland. Do not forget Cleveland Rocks. You can look for Micah on LinkedIn. Thank you for tuning in to the Money Pot Bankadelic Podcast. For more podcast episodes in the Bankadelic Vault, be sure to check out our page on SoundCloud, Bankadelic, B-A-N-K-A. D-E-L-I-C. And thank you for joining us. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery.
Bankadelic, sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking B-I-Z News.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn and at the Civil War reenactment as Abraham Lincoln. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.